This is Adrian Savino, and you're listening to Circulated. On this episode of Circulated, we're joined by Gregory Tanner. Gregory is an executive managing director and principal at Lee & Associates in the New York office. He has been in business for 20 plus years and specializes in retail and office leasing, as well as investment sales, and has represented key brands, including SoulCycle and Premark. Most recently, Greg has focused his attention on leasing space to cannabis operators throughout Manhattan and Brooklyn. Greg, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for taking the time. So help, tell us a little bit about yourself, You know how long you've been in the industry, how you kind of worked your way through uh, leasing to companies like SoulCycle, Premark, and now um, you know working with some, some cannabis operators. Yeah, sure. So I've been in the industry for about 22 years now. I basically interned my last year of college by picking up the phone in my dad's office, speaking to a broker, and he basically said, get into my office. I want you to work for me. So uh, I started with him um, as an internship at a company called Retail Realty. And then after I graduated college in 01, I went over to a industrial warehouse and office company called Sutton and Edwards, which was based on Long Island, recently purchased uh, several years ago from Collier's. Did industrial warehouse leasing and investment sales for about five years, went over to CBRE. I was there for seven years and was doing retail leasing, uh, 50-50, both on the landlord and tenant side. After seven years there, I got brought over to Cushman and Wakefield, spent about four to five years at Cushman and Wakefield doing the same thing, building a team and doing retail leasing on a national basis. And then most recently, about five years ago, came over to Lee & Associates uh, as an executive managing director and principal and have been focused on more of the retail tenant rep side. About two years ago, I was approached by one of my very dear friends and also business partner of mine now, who is a cannabis attorney, and said, hey, cannabis is going to be a real thing in New York. Let's start looking at the landscape of retail dispensaries since we're going to have a lot of work for you to do for these dispensaries. So I took the better part of about nine months to understand the landscape of what it's going to look like in terms of the buffer zones, uh, understanding that I've done a lot of deals with restaurant bars and clubs um, and understanding what the SLA rules are is gonna be very comparable to cannabis. I studied the MRTA bill for New York State. It got passed in March of 21, uh, along with understanding the rules and regulations, along with the bill in Massachusetts, which was the closest adult use legal state at that time. So really putting everything together, got on the phone with landlords, uh, started talking to them about cannabis, about 80, 90% of them were laughing at me. This was way before the bill was even passed. Said cannabis is never gonna happen and in New York. I said, you'll see that it is actually gonna happen. And sure enough, on March 30th of 21, when Cuomo signed the bill into effect, my phone started ringing off the hook. Uh, so that's pretty much where we are today. I also bought a dispensary with a couple of partners in Massachusetts to really understand the business. We have an operating store in West Boylston, Massachusetts called Harmony of MA, where I'm a co-owner of that facility. So you kind of covered outside of just being a broker, you're bringing you know, landlord and operator together. How are you educating both sides? You know, it's a new kind of burgeoning industry. Um, to your point, you read through the bills and you understand the process and the SLAs. Give me more information on how you're kind of helping people on both sides of the transaction kind of come to the middle. Yeah, sure. So, you know, it takes a lot of time. So we get sites sent to us all the time. The first thing that we do is when we comb the market, let's just say Manhattan, right? 
we do a search of all the available retail space, which there is a lot of space available. We first plug in our diligence which is looking at the buffer zones, uh, 200 foot rule from place of worship and 500 feet from a school. So once we identify that these sites fit the requirement or fit the buffer zones, then we call the landlord. After we call the landlord, we make sure that we have lender approval or if there is no lender that the ownership is okay with it. It's about a half hour, 45 minute conversation with each landlord to make them understand what actually a dispensary is, who we're selling to, and the security element of a dispensary. Again, this is very, very new to New York. Outside of the medical program, it's never been done before. So a lot, lot of landlords need to be well-educated on what a cannabis dispensary is. And since I own a dispensary, it's easy for me to speak to about the layouts, the security element, the product, everything that has to go into it. And then obviously we get into the economics of the deals. So that's pretty much on the landlord side. On the tenant side, in terms of these operators coming into the state, it's a lot of hand-holding in terms of a lot of these people have never been into New York State for cannabis because it hasn't been legal yet. So it's really understanding the markets, the submarkets, the activity generators, the public transportation, the density reporting, the foot traffic. There's a lot to go into this. It's not just like, hey, here's a piece of space, go and lease it, open up a dispensary. There's a lot of work that gets done even before the operator sees the space so that we can speak to them intelligently about the whole deal structure on it. Sure. And then in terms of like deal making, you know, from the cannabis operator perspective, like where has this been in the last 18 months? Where do you see it going? Like how are you, you know, helping your clients mitigate risk? Uh, how long, like timeline wise, cost, permits, red tape, all that kind of stuff? Like how does that work from top to bottom? Yeah. So there's a lot of things that are still unclear about the red tape. Um, I could just talk to you about some of the deal making. We've come up with a different formula, a couple of different formulas to mitigate risk capital on these deals. Some of that includes, well, you know, if you go back to the bill, you know, it's defined that no different than SLA, that you need secured real estate to apply for a retail dispensary license. Round one just opened up uh, last week, week and a half ago, which was the justice involved social equity aspect of it. You know, those are the people that were convicted of cannabis related crimes in the state of New York, own a business and uh, own 51% of the license. Those individuals that are gonna receive the paper license, the state has um, come up with the DASNY fund, which is a $200 million fund, and basically giving the keys to these operators. Now, everybody that doesn't qualify for the round one, Round two, which we believe is coming out in the next, call it six months to open up to apply, you know, how do you mitigate that risk today in terms of the capital that you need to secure real estate? So we came up with a couple of different formulas watching what happened in Massachusetts where these retailers got the keys to their space and they had to start paying rent immediately. And it was about two years until they opened up their store because of the red tape, call it, or the delays in the state. So some of these ways are, are, are basically a lot of risk in terms of like, hey, you know, Mr. Operator, whoever it is, cannabis store XYZ, you know, there's 10 locations that you're interested in. I recommend making offers on all 10, getting LOI signed. We don't pay anything until the application period opens up. Let the landlord continue to market the space so that we're not putting up any hard capital right now. 
we have a signed term sheet in terms of the terms and conditions that are based in there to you know correlate into a lease. So um, you know it, it's still a risk. It really depends on like what keeps you up at night for these operators. Some of these operators are totally fine with that, where they have like a bucket of sites. And, you know, when this application period opens up, we can take a, a look at these sites and we keep track of them to make sure that there's, they haven't been leased or there's not activity on it. So then once the application period opens up, then we start paying a fraction of the monthly rent to lock in that position so that the landlord doesn't lease it. Because once the application period opens up, then you're identifying the address, which the license is gonna be tied to. And we can't take that risk losing that location. Um, so that's one way of doing it, right? The other ways of doing it is going hard on a deal today saying, okay, you know what? I want to know that my locations are secured. I'm going to start paying the landlord fraction of the monthly rent today um, and take it off the market. Other tenants have just plunked down, you know, call it a hundred thousand, couple hundred thousand dollars of risk capital to know that their space is completely locked up and sign a lease. So there's a couple of different models depending on the risk capital and depending on what the operator really wants to do and how they want to sleep at night. Right, and I mean, the risk is a huge piece of it. I think, you know, what, two weeks ago, um, Mayor Eric Adams and and, and the SBS, uh, Small Businesses Services, announced the Cannabis NYC, you know, the initiative to kind of support like an equitable growth for the industry. So do you think things, initiatives like this, you know, the Cooney and SUNY schools are, are, are launching cannabis courses. Um, do you think these things are going to help, you know, to your point, help, help like operators and, and landlords sleep at night, get, get more comfortable with the transactions and, and move forward? How do you see this helping? Yeah, I think, you know, anything that the state can do to educate the population about cannabis, about the product, about the education about the product is definitely going to help the initiative to get this program up and running. I mean, you know, the state is doing a great job right now in terms of expediting this program. Uh, we expect that the first couple of stores are going to be open before the end of the year. And why is that so important is because we are on a boundary state to New Jersey where they're doing exceptionally well out of about 10 locations and they're doing big numbers on a daily basis. So the state doesn't want to lose any more tax revenue dollars towards other states that are adult use, you know, call it the Berkshires. Um, where people were driving up to Massachusetts to buy product and now New Jersey. So whatever the state is doing, I think they're doing it the right way with this CUNY um, programs and with this DASNY fund. Anything that they can do to help get this program up and running is a benefit for everyone. And then you have private operators like Robert Frey, who's opening this cannabis uh, museum. And I think on first read, I thought it was going to be more of like a dispensary hybrid with it's like a... It's not a it's not a dispensary at all. It's basically yeah. just like a educational museum about the product, about the history of the product, you know, great pictures, great visuals. Sure. But it's not gonna have a dispensary attached to the base of it. And that's a that's the building on Broadway. Yep. Um, and we've been watching that, right? And a lot of operators called me up and said, hey, you know, the Cannabis Museum is opening up. It seems like a really good location. I said, you're not wrong about that. Um, so I think, I think those things are great, right? Like cannabis isn't taboo anymore. People talk about it. People talk about the strains that they're smoking, uh, the edibles that they're eating. You know, there's a huge education process to this and people are really interested about this segment of the market. 
Yeah, and it, it kind of, I mean, on, again, on first read when I was in the real deal, it sounded like it was going to be a dispensary and <clears throat> it's just a cultural institution to promote education. So I think, you know, hand in hand with the state, with the, the couple of initiatives we just talked about, it's going to help everyone get comfortable, whether it's first time user, first time operator, you know, first time landlord working with a first time operator, et cetera. Um, so I think all hand in hand, it'll it'll continue to, to push the industry forward. Yeah, I agree with that. So it's becoming a crowded space, obviously. I mean, as operators kind of come in, are you seeing uh, like percentage wise breakdown between first operators, other you know operators that are that are opening in New York for the first time? Is it where are you seeing kind of like a, a client breakdown on your side? I mean, a lot of the people that are coming into cannabis are either New Yorkers or out-of-state operators in the call it the tri-state area. Then obviously, as far as California and a lot of the people throughout the entire country are looking at New York and saying, OK, you know what? This is a unicorn state. It's probably going to be the last biggest state to get adult use legal. And there's a lot of money in New York, right? You're in a population of 19.8 million people. So the density is there and people are just really excited about New York and the cannabis retail dispensaries in the state, along with cultivation, manufacturing, processing and distribution. Um, so they're just really excited about the industry. I don't really see like a, a huge breakdown between like a percentage of like, hey, 90 percent of these people are New Yorkers or 50 you percent know, around a state. I think it's just like an equal mix of everyone trying to get into the state. Yeah, I, I think I'm more so like multi-state operators, to your point, or or first-time operators with, within the state. There's no like distinguishable breakdown, obviously. You know, I guess that'll kind of, uh, that will be revealed as, as time goes on. Yeah, I agree with that. So like, what's the biggest, I guess, hurdle in the, in the market today when it comes to cannabis? And like, where do you see the market evolving and going in the next, you know, three, five, seven, ten years? Um, I mean, obviously, over the next, call it five to seven years, it'll definitely hit a saturation level. But uh, where is it going today? I mean, it's very new. It's an immature market in New York because it hasn't been done yet. It's exciting. Um, we're really banking on this. So, you know, all I see is like green pastures for the next three to five years, call it. Um, the initial first market is going to be most successful, like we've seen in other adult use states. And everybody else will follow through. I mean, I don't see a bad location right now for a cannabis dispensary, as long as it's compliant with the rules and regs. Um, so I just see, you know, tons and tons of stores throughout the state. Um, you know, I think there's going to be about a thousand stores in New York State that are going to do well. That's what we're banking on. Right. And are there any like common misconceptions or, or you know, uh, issues with the cannabis market that, you know, uh, the consumer operators, anyone should kind of clear up or know about? I think there's more misconceptions on the landlord side of actually what a dispensary is, because I'd say 99% of these landlords have never stepped foot into a cannabis dispensary, and I urge them to do so. The reason being is they don't understand what it looks like. I mean, you know, there's, quote unquote, a lot of illegal shops out there, and they're afraid that that's what um, a real legal dispensary is going to look like until we actually go through images of what these dispensaries actually are, then they get comfortable with it, along with crowd control with security elements. And you know, a lot of people think that you can go into a store, buy a pre-roll and smoke it on site. 
which is not the case unless you're a consumption lounge and that's a completely different license category. So once the education process is there in terms of the misconception of what actually a dispensary is, saying, hey, you know, you go inside an Apple store and you're looking at, you know, 10 different Apple phones and you're going to pick one out, they bring it behind the shelf and you take your product, you leave and you play with your phone outside. It's almost like the same thing with cannabis dispensaries, right? You step inside, you look at their displays, you look at their menu, you buy your product, and then you step outside and you can consume cannabis wherever you can consume tobacco in New York State. So once we get over those hurdles that there's no product sampling, tasting, smelling, all that, and the, the good is packaged and the seal can't be broken until you leave the site, then a lot of the landlords get more comfortable with it saying, oh, wow, this is really like an Apple store for cannabis. It's like 100% accurate. All right. And you, you kind of broke down different types of uh, licenses and, 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 and uh, opportunities, I guess, in terms of like, you know, the common, you know, uh, New Yorker walking around the city today, you know, you see like storefronts and vans selling cannabis. Are these legal? Like, are they, are they, are they operating the, the right way? Um, and like, what is no. going to happen to those places in the future? Yeah, so those are completely illegal operations. Um, there are no legal licensed cannabis dispensaries in New York State at this time, except for the medical group, you know, like the MedMen on Fifth Avenue and Columbia Care in Brooklyn, sure. uh, Etain on 58th Street. So um, what's going to happen to those people? You know, it's a really good question. We're trying to figure that out. I think New York State is trying to get ahead of what's happened in California and other adult use states where the illicit market thrived because of the tax program. So I think New York is just going to try to do everything that they can um, to curb the legal facilities because then they lose tax revenue on it. And what they're doing right now is not legal because of federal law of cross-border. I mean, none of these products are coming from New York State because you there's, there's no legal retail license to sell to these stores yet. Yes, there's 240 cultivators that are currently growing cannabis throughout the, throughout the state, but you know they're waiting for these licenses to get active so that they can sell that product to it. So those weed vans, um, you know, like Weed World, that uh, they got a bunch of trucks that were seized recently, and some of these stores are starting to shut down. I mean. Yeah, the New York State is doing whatever that they can to curb this on the illegal side, or call it the illicit market. Sure. Well, needless to say, we're at the beginning. Uh, we'll definitely have to get you to come back on to give us an update and uh, understand, you know, what clients you're working with, how the industry has kind of uh, continued to progress through the state. I'd love to get an update on the dispensary in Massachusetts. Uh, just want to thank you for your time again, and this has all been helpful for the uh, listeners. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem.